Stay with us following this week's Crosswalk for information on Pastor Clay's new book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. Growing in God's Word and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus, this is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. Jesus is saying that there is a day coming that is going to be so severe and so dramatic on this earth. What is coming in the end times, whatever we endure here, it is not the same as what is coming on this earth. The end times. That's been a pretty popular subject in the last few years, it seems. Even Hollywood has gotten into the act with several films centered around end time disasters. People are preparing to live off the grid when it all comes crashing down. Everybody seems to have something to say about what it will be like in the last days. Eventually, all the stuff of this world, all of it is destined for dust, ladies and gentlemen. It's all destined for dust. And so if you're going to value something, buddy, you better choose something that's got value to it. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. If you're a regular to our podcast, you probably know that Pastor Clay took a break in December from his series in the book of Mark in order to focus on the Christmas story. Now that we're into a brand new year, we're going back to our series, Jesus, the Real Action Hero. When we left off in chapter 12, chronologically it's in the last week of Jesus' life, but in chapter 12, Jesus was doing some teaching in the temple area. Chapter 13 of the book of Mark opens with Jesus making a shocking prediction about the temple in Jerusalem. That prediction opened the door for Jesus to teach some lessons on the end times. Jesus has just said the temple is going to be torn down. And that is not a prophecy that Jews would like to hear. Most of us have lots of questions when it comes to discussing the end of time. I can't think of a better person to learn about it than from Jesus. As always, thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay. chapter 13. I'm going to be reading this morning verses 1 through 13 and uh, continuing on in our study in our series in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 13. You there? Y'all excited? Y'all scattered all over the place? You sure are. We going to fill up these seats in 2015? Come on, not, not for us, right? I mean, we'd like it. It'd be nice to have somebody sitting beside me and all that. But to the glory of God, to expand the kingdom, to see people's eternal destiny. I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm going to start preaching, and I haven't even started to preach yet. Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. Watch this. As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And will mislead many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts 
And you will be flogged in the synagogues and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. The gospel must first be preached to all the nations. When they arrest you and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. Lesson one looks like this. If you're going to value something, make sure that it's something of value. In, uh, in verse one, again, it says, as he was going out of the uh, temple, one of his disciples said to him, teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. If, you, if you've been with us, you know we've taken a month off from this series in the book of Mark to, to look at a Christmas series and, and celebrate the Christmas season. And, and uh, if you've been with us for the series, you may remember, possibly, that, we, that when we left off in chapter 12, uh, we're in the la- it's the last week, chronologically it's in the last week of Jesus' life, but in chapter 12 Jesus was doing some teaching in the temple, in the temple area, in what's called Temple Mount, uh, the the, the, the area on top of the hill there in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, really, uh, where several buildings stood that were part of the temple complex. And Jesus had been doing some teaching. He was, you know, he was, uh, religious leaders were trying to catch him, and he blew him out of the water, and, and he did some more teaching. Well, chapter 13 opens, and he's, he's, he's walking away from the temple. He's leaving for, for the day, for the night. And as he's leaving, uh, the t- Mark says one of his disciples point out to Jesus the magnificence of the, the buildings, the complex that make up Temple Mount. And to be sure, it was spectacular by those days standards, or really even today, I think you could say, it was spectacular. And he points out, the disciple points out what magnificent structure uh, this is. And Jesus responds by saying, oh, oh, you see those magnificent buildings? Not one stone will be left standing on another. Now, that statement had to be so shocking uh, to the disciples when, when he spoke that word. By the way, Matthew and Luke uh, imply that some of the, the other disciples were there and may have been involved in this. But Mark specifically says that one of his disciples asked the question. Obviously, it's pure speculation to try and name which one. But I'm going to do it. <laughs> my, my money's on Judas Iscariot. This just sounds like the kind of thing that he would say. In fact, I would say it wouldn't be far-fetched to think that Jesus' response to this disciple's comment about the greatness of the, uh, of the, of the temple, that Jesus' response could have been the very thing that triggered Judas' decision to betray Jesus. It could have been the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas when he heard that because you see to the Jew the temple wasn't just the supposed center of their spiritual lives it was a source of national pride and as I said it was spectacular by all accounts 
more than 10,000 skilled laborers involved in the construction of Temple Mound. A little more than 60 years uh, to, to complete the project. Huge stones, some of them weighing more than 100 tons apiece, fit together so precisely that you couldn't slide a piece of paper between two of them. Huge amounts of gold and, and other precious materials, and it all came to nothing, nothing, when it was destroyed by the Romans in 70 AD, which is exactly what Jesus was prophesying here about. It all came to nothing. You see, if you're going to value something, if you're going to look at something in your life or in this world or whatever, and you're going to place value on something, make sure that it's something of value. Because I can tell you this, anything made by man eventually just turns to rubbish. I've told this story before. Some of you have heard this this story. But I I was just thinking about this guy uh, when I was was writing this sermon. I had the opportunity to share the message of Jesus with with a a man named Freddie one time. And uh, I sat down with Freddie and I I talked with him about our need because of our sin and and why it was impossible for us to to pay our own sin debt. And I, I talked to Freddie about the, the greatness of God's grace gift to us that he provided through the sacrifice of his son and that, that salvation was ours for the asking. It was a free gift if we would simply acknowledge our sinfulness and acknowledge the fact that Jesus Christ is the only one capable of paying for, for my sin debt. I explained to Freddie what, what a follower of Jesus looked like and what it meant to follow him. And, and when I finished, I, I asked Freddie, I said, Freddie, do you understand what, what, you know, any questions, anything? you understand everything I've shared with you today? And Freddie indicated that he, he certainly understood what I said to him. And, and I said, Freddie, man, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to accept Jesus Christ? You know, I just went ahead and tried to draw the net. You know, sometimes it, the opportunity presents itself, you just, you, sometimes you're just sharing information, but sometimes you've got to draw the net. And I said, I said Freddie, is there any reason why you wouldn't want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior right here, right now, today? And Freddie said, yeah. I like getting drunk and chasing women. Now listen, I, I have told that story many times and I have even um, applauded Freddie for his honesty. But it never ceases to amaze me the, the brutal honesty of a person that says that they would rather have the, the temporary earthly pleasures over eternal heavenly treasures. It, it just, it never ceases to amaze me that someone would choose that. You see, whatever it is, if, it, if it's part of, of man and part of who we are, it eventually all turns to, to dust. I was, I was looking at some things. Most of you are familiar with what are referred to as the seven ancient wonders of the world, spectacular man-made uh, things that uh, just were a monument to man's creativity and ability to build. And Do you know the, of the seven ancient wonders of the world? The only one even still in existence is the Great Pyramid of Giza, the Giza Pyramid. And even it is greatly eroded. And, and left unattended, it will eventually erode completely away. Because that's what happens to the stuff of this world. They, they said the Titanic was unsinkable. And it went down in its maiden voyage and carried 1,500 souls with it into the dark of the North Atlantic. Hitler claimed his Third Reich would last for 1,000 years and it crumbled in less than 10. Do you know... Of the companies listed on the Fortune 500 list in 1955, 89% of them 
are no longer around? Do you remember when Sony Ericsson was one of the top cell phone manufacturers in the world? Remember when, when compact computers were hot? Do you understand what I'm saying here today? Is that eventually all the stuff of this world is one of my favorite sayings. All of it is destined for dust, ladies and gentlemen. It's all destined for dust. And so if you're going to value something, buddy, you better choose something that's got value to it. Where do you place your value? I guess that's what I'm asking you this morning. Where do you place your value? For most of the world, value is placed in fame and fortune and, and riches and, and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I know that allure and I know that pull and, and nice stuff is, is nice, but eternal stuff is forever. It has value to it that will last far beyond your lifetime or a hundred lifetimes or a thousand lifetimes. Where do you place your value? If you're going to place value on something, make sure that it's something of value in 2015. Why not place your value in, in, the, in the relationship that you have with God? Why not place your value in, in the work of the kingdom and the expanding of the kingdom and the idea that you can be a part of fulfilling uh, the Great Commission? Where something doesn't turn to rust or dust or eaten by moths, but it lasts for all of eternity. Here's the way uh, Jesus put it in Matthew chapter 16. He said, and what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. In 2015, we enter this year, I'd really love for you to just step back and take stock and say, what is really valuable in my life? Here's lesson number two. A person claiming to have truth may not be truthful. In verse three, it says, uh, as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when these things are going to be fulfilled? Matthew and Luke tell us that they specifically ask about the end times. And Jesus began to say to them, see to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he and will mislead. How many? Many, many. And Jesus' statement uh, that he gave earlier about the not one stone left standing on another must have been so shocking that either the disciples were, were too stunned to, to ask for more details or, and this is more likely the reason, they didn't want anybody else to overhear this conversation that they were having with Jesus about the temple being torn down. Because Jesus has just said the temple is going to be torn down. And that is not a prophecy that Jews would like to hear. And so they make their way out of the Temple Mount complex. They go out the eastern gate of the wall of Jerusalem. They go down through what's called, known as the Kidron Valley. And they come up on the other side. And this, this hill over there really is, is what it is. It's known as the Mount of Olives. And they sit down, and then there, away from everybody else, away from the crowd, away from the religious leaders that might overhear this, then Peter, James, John, and Andrew come to Jesus, and, and, and they, they want more details. They want to, whoa, 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 when is this, when is this going to happen? When is the temple going to be destroyed? When is, when is all this going to be fulfilled in the, in the end of time? You see, they, they mistakenly assume that the destruction of the temple is connected to the end times. Jesus never said it was. 
but they assumed it was. Maybe they just couldn't imagine a world without the temple. And so they, they just assumed that if the temple is destroyed, it, man, it, that must take place at the end of time. But in any event, Jesus uses it as an opportunity to teach on the end times. And one of the things that he indicates is that, that there will be those who will come in my name who will deceive many. By the way, uh, for those of you who are interested in this kind of stuff, uh, there has been debate back and forth about uh, whether Jesus meant the name of Jesus or the, or the Christ. Was he saying that people would come literally in the name of Jesus or was he saying people would come claiming to be Christ, claiming to be Messiahs? And you might rightly observe, well, what's the difference? Aren't they both the same? Yes, they are, my theologically astute friend. Yes, they are. But remember, Christ is a title. He's Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus the Savior. Technically, his name is, is Jesus. But in any event, whether they come claiming to be uh, Jesus, and we've had a few of those crazies, or whether they come claiming to speak in the, you know, for Jesus, or whether they come, uh, whether it's a cultural movement or an individual, uh, claiming to, to have the answer or the solution for what will, will give you the best out of life or, or whatever the case may be, Jesus says there will be plenty of them who will come along and many will be deceived. Watch this uh, short little video. No video? Oh. Well, um, sorry, I can't, uh, can't act it out. <laughs> um, well, I'll show it to you another time. I was, I was going to show you a video of, um, that somebody's put together of people in the 20th century that have claimed to be Christ or Messiah or Jesus. And, and the number of people have been led astray uh, by them. This is a surprisingly high number <laughs> of people. By the way, there, there was even, there, it was, this was, the one I was going to show you was volume one. There's even a volume two for the 20th century, and they've even got one out on the 21st century, which we're only about 15 years into now. The point is, there's no shortage of Jesus wannabes, and apparently no shortage of the people willing to drink the Kool-Aid who come under their influence. But just because a person claims to have truth doesn't mean they're being truthful. Do you understand? You can't simply assume that a person is speaking truth. Where do you get your truth from? Facebook? Lord, I hope not. <laughs> Inner office memos, water cooler talk, the nightly news, Oprah, Wall Street, Madison Avenue. You see, wherever you get your truth from, ladies and gentlemen, you better check it against the truth. That, that's what I'm saying to you. You better check it against the truth. By the way, that is why so many have worked so hard for so long to remove this book from mainstream society, mainstream culture. That's why they've worked so hard. Because, listen, if you remove the truth, you can then bring in, you can then inject anything and call it truth. And who's to say different? Who's to say that your truth is not truth once you remove absolute truth? And so, uh, whether it's, a, whether it's a, a public personality, a, a, a political power, a, a television personality, a, a, a preacher, whether it's a, a close friend or family member, you need to make sure that the truth that they are giving you matches the truth that God has already given to you. 
Because if you don't, it will lead you down a road of ruin. I promise you, it will lead you down a road of ruin if you begin to to adjust your understanding of truth. If you don't, what you'll end up with is a culture that determines its truth not on an absolute truth, but based instead on each person's personal bias. You end up with a culture where every person's truth is their own truth. You end up with a culture exactly like the one we have today. You end up with a culture that, as the writer of Judges puts in in chapter 17, a culture where every man did what was right in his own sight. And Jesus indicates, and I think this is what Jesus is saying, that, that throughout time, but then particularly as we move towards the end time, we will see an increase in, in lies, increase in the number of people claiming to have the answer or claiming to be Jesus or claiming to be the Christ or whatever the case may be and, and leading millions down a path of darkness. This is what I know, and then we'll go on to lesson three. This is what I know. When Jesus, the real Jesus, when he does come back, and, and we're going to get into more detail about the end times next week, but, but when he does come back, it, it won't be any problem recognizing him. Not the real Jesus. He'll be the one with the scars in his hands and feet and the crown on his head. Here's the third uh, lesson to talk about today. Uh, Experiencing tribulation isn't the same as the tribulation. Experiencing tribulation in your life isn't necessarily the same as the tribulation. Look at uh, verse 7. Y'all looking at verse 7? Are y'all awake? All right, you seem quiet. When When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will also be famines. These things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my name's sake as a testimony to them. Verse 11, when they arrest you and and hand you over, do not worry beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child, and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Uh, Wars and earthquakes and famines are not uh, indications of the end times, are not signs of the end times in themselves uh, for the the sheer fact that there have always been wars and earthquakes and famines, and there always will be until the end of time. So in themselves, they're not indications that it's the end of time. Now, Jesus may be saying, as as with the, the false teachers, Uh, He may be saying that in the end times, as we move towards the end times, that there will be an increase in the the frequency and the severity of both man-made and natural disasters. But as Jesus says in the text, these are but the the beginnings. These are but the birth pangs, the beginning of birth pangs. It's just the beginning. Any of you have had the privilege of being around perhaps your wife when she has given birth? know 
that her demeanor when, when, when she says, honey, my water just broke, is drastically different than her demeanor two minutes before she gives birth and she's threatening to kill you if you ever touch her again. And Jesus, this is just the, the, the beginnings of birth pangs. But, here we go, included in Jesus' description here is uh, the persecution that comes upon those who are followers of Jesus, right? He talks about you're going to be brought before kings and governors and, and you're going to, people, children are going to betray their parents and all this, the persecution that is going to come upon people as a result of being followers of Jesus. Now, we can look at the book of Acts and see much of that uh, come to fruition and being lived out even then. And we can look uh, at... Uh, historical documents that record the events of the first few centuries of the church. And we can find boatloads of examples where people whose only crime was loving Jesus were arrested, beaten, and many of them put to death in terrible, horrible ways. We can look at that and we can document it and we can see that sort of thing. What we can't do here, those of us in this culture, in this society in which we live, what we, what we have a hard time doing because of, of the sheltered nature of our society, because of the protection that we have, what we can't see oftentimes is, is that very same thing that Jesus describes here and that you can read about in the books of, book of Acts, that very same thing, ladies and gentlemen, goes on every single day all over the world. It's not, it's not an historical event, something that happened a thousand years ago or 1,500 years ago. It goes on every single day. Some people have said, and I think they're right, that um, the rights of Christians are slowly being taken away here in America. But for the most part, you and I have grown up in a country that prizes the individual liberties of each person. And so the right to, to say what you believe, the right to attend church, the right to share your faith, these are things that, that have been protected by our Constitution. But what you and I sometimes fail to realize is that for most of the world, they have never had those rights. They have never had the right to say what they wanted to say. They could say what the state or the official religion allowed them to say. They could believe what the state or the official religion allowed them to believe. And so in those countries, when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ and makes the, the determination to, as it says in Acts 5.29, believe God and not men, obey God and not men, when a person comes to faith and they make the decision to obey God and not men and share this newfound faith that they have, what you and I fail to see oftentimes here living in our little sheltered culture is that for the person that does that in some other part of the world, the penalty for them is severe. But whatever the tribulation, what natural or persecution as a result of coming to faith in Christ, whatever it is, Jesus says it pales in comparison to what is coming 
on this earth. And, and I, listen, I, I'm not making light of what people have been through throughout history or what you may have ex- even experienced as far as maybe persecution or just trials, tribulations in your life. I'm, I'm not making light of those things. I'm just saying that Jesus is saying that there is a day coming that is going to be so, so severe and so dramatic on this earth. And, and all you got to do, folks, is read a little bit in the book of Revelation and, and the description of what is coming in the end times to know that, that whatever we endure here, it is not the same as what is coming on this earth. Like I said, we'll get to it more next week, but just a little sneak peek in verse 19. uh, Jesus says this, For those days will be a time of tribulation. Such has not occurred since the beginning of the creation, which God created until now and never shall. It will be severe. And someday, again, not making light of of your trials and tribulations, but someday... When Jesus returns and he establishes his kingdom and, and he establishes justice, true justice on this earth, can I tell you that all the stuff that you've been through, it just won't matter. It, it just won't matter. All right, real quick. Um, let, let me give you lesson, lesson four this morning. Taking the good news to the world will bring the good news to the world. This is an interesting insert, it seems, in verse 10, where Jesus says the gospel must first be preached to all the nations. Now, like I said, we don't, we don't get into more details about the end times until verse 14, which is where we'll be next week. It's where Jesus really begins to talk more about the specifics of the end times. But he does seem to give a specific here in verse 10. And what he does seem to indicate is that the proclamation of the gospel, the preaching, the proclaiming of the good news, and that's what the gospel is. It, it, it just means the good news of Jesus. That it must be preached throughout all the nations. And, and by the way, that's not referring so much to geographical boundaries that, that men draw up, but it has more to do with, with people people who have been reached with the gospel and who have not been reached with the gospel. I did some research, looked at some numbers that I, that I think it's important for us to look at as we start in 2015. I really want you to, to, to stop looking at your mobile device for a minute and listen to me about this. Uh, this is from the International Mission Board's website, and according to the IMB's website, 11,100, there are 11,168 people groups in the world. 11,168 people groups. I know what you're thinking. What's a people group? Here it is. A people group is an ethno-linguistic group with a common self-identity that is shared by the various members. There are two parts of that word, ethno and linguistic. Language is a primary and and dominant identifying factor of a people group, but there are other factors that determine or are associated with ethnicity. And the definition goes on a little bit longer, but I think you get the point that that a variance in, in language is one of the primary identifications of what makes an individual people group. So how many did I say there were? Or did the IMB say there were? 11,168 people groups that make up the, the 7 billion inhabitants of this planet, okay? The uh, uh, IMB goes on to, to say a people group then is considered unreached. They've not been reached yet with the gospel of Jesus Christ. A people group is considered unreached when the number of evangelical Christians is less than 2% of its population. So in a country where 2% or less of the population are followers of Jesus, that population as a whole is considered an unreached people group. You with me? Say yes. 
or no if you're not, and we'll, we'll back up. But you understand? 2% or less, that's an unreached people group. All right, you ready? According to the IMB, there are 6,544 people groups where evangelical Christians comprise less than 2% of the population. That means more than 50% of this world's population is considered an unreached people group of 7 billion people on this planet. And of those 6,544, 2,982 of those groups are completely unengaged, meaning as far as anybody can, can determine, there is no evangelical work going on in that country or that people group at all. There's, forget about 2%, as far as they can tell, there is no uh, Jesus work going on at all. Almost 50% of that 6,544. Now, those are sobering statistics, aren't they? But listen, can I tell you something? It ought to be exciting to us because, ladies and gentlemen, what Jesus says in verse 10, you and I, whether that could have been accomplished in previous times, you can argue that all day, I guess, but you and I are living in a time where verse 10 can literally be fulfilled. In our lifetime, verse 10 can be fulfilled. The, the gospel can go to the ends of the earth, to, to, to the people groups of the world. Does that mean Jesus is going to come back right then? Not necessarily. But he does seem to indicate that, that until the gospel goes out, and we sit at home, and we pay our mortgages, and we watch our sitcoms, and we complain about our taxes, and we wonder when God is ever going to bring all this thing to an end when God is saying, I'll tell you when I'll bring it to an end. I'll bring it to an end when the message of Jesus goes to the outer limits of the earth, when, when, when the, the people groups of the world have an opportunity to hear the good news of Christ. What are you waiting for? I think that's what God's saying. But we ought to be excited because we can see the fulfillment of verse 10. Listen, people alone, the number of people available but you take technology, you take radio and television and, and internet and, and all the things that's accessible to us. We live in a time where the message of Christ can reach the entire world. And that ought to be exciting to us. So, here we are, staring over the horizon of a brand new year, 2015. What's it, what's it going to be? What's going to be my priority? What, what's going to be the, the things I value? What, what's my truth going to be based on? And listen, we're not... I, I'm sorry, but we're not doing this. We're not doing this with the every head bowed and every eye closed. We're not, we're not doing that today. With every head up and every eye wide open, I want to ask you here today, how many of you would be willing to say, God, in 2015, I want to be a part of the solution. God, in 2015, I want to help fulfill verse 10. God, in 2015, I'm willing, as we say here at Cross Culture, to go here, there, and everywhere for the fulfillment of the gospel. God, in 2015, I'm going to be more intentional about sharing my faith with those around me, about inviting people, about being engaged in the work of the kingdom. And wait, I'm not done. And God, in 2015, if you'll provide the means, God, in 2015, I'll go on a short-term mission trip with my church to the very ends of the earth that's where they're going but God I'll go in 2015 to fulfill verse 10 I wonder how many people would be willing to raise their hand today and say they'd be willing to do that it's a big deal isn't it it's a big deal I, I don't I don't know when Jesus is coming back I do believe that we are in the last days so if you're sitting there thinking geez Clay you're really putting them on the spot today 
Listen, it's, it's, it is because I really do think we're in the last days. And I really do think that, that in the end, it's God putting us on the spot. It's God who's saying, won't you do this? Won't you go? More than 50% of the earth's population, won't you make the message of Jesus known to the world? I think God's putting us on the spot. I think God is calling us to engage in the work. And in 2015, my prayer will be, has been, that Cross Culture Church will expand its idea of, of how involved we can be and how far we can go to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Well, there you have it. Four lessons that you and I can apply to our lives from Jesus' teaching on the end times. As Pastor Clay pointed out, Jesus gets into more specifics of the end times in verses 14 and following. And we'll take a look at those next week. But today, Pastor Clay pointed out some of the important lessons that Jesus was teaching us about living our life, whether we're in the last days or not. Learning to value eternal things instead of worldly things. Understanding that not everyone who claims to have the truth is necessarily being truthful. Realizing that our tribulations in life aren't the same thing as the tribulation that is to come. And taking on the challenge to take the good news of Jesus to the world. We pray that in 2015, all of us who follow Jesus will live our lives in a way that is expecting His return. We're glad you joined us for this week's Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their lives feel disconnected with the type of life and faith that they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback form from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy of I Get It today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where you'll find what you're looking for. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. I want to lead you to the cross.
Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org.